Hello and welcome to Africa Tech Summit Connects, sharing insights from across the African tech scene. Hello and welcome to today's show. My name is Andrew Fastage, founder of Africa Tech Summit. In today's episode, we're looking at mobile financial services in Nigeria and also further across the continent. Traditional banks are being disrupted ever more with new and innovative fintech services and are looking at bigger and underserved markets across the continent. Today, I'm joined by Chijoki Dozi, CEO of Carbon, a Nigerian fintech, founded in 2016 and also has operations in Kenya and other markets and one of the first digital lenders via smartphone app in Africa. The long-term vision is to become a pan-African digital bank, and we look forward to discussing all this. Welcome, Chijoki. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. So you're calling us from Lagos today. How are, how are things in Lagos? Uh, we're, still, we're still working this COVID world. How has it been affecting you and, and, and the business? Yeah, so we went into lockdown in March, and so Carbon, um, we also started um, work from home a week before the lockdown, so around the 22nd of March. And, you know, we've been in work from home mode ever since. And I think it hasn't really affected us too much. And, you know, being a digital, uh, digital company, we can pretty work from anywhere um, mm. and you know, res- respond to customers, do transactions be 20, you know, available 24-7. So, you know, I, I think our business is actually tailor-made for times like this. Yeah. Well, before we, we get into carbon, I mean, it'd be great to hear more about you. I mean, growing up in Nigeria, you come from a big family of um, who've all turned out to be, you know, quite entrepreneurial. What was it like growing up in Nigeria? And, and you know, what were kind of your first entrepreneurial activities growing up? Um, you know, so look, I, I was, I grew up in Nigeria till I was 11, then I went to boarding school in the UK. Um, and, you know, I'm one of, I'm one of five, five boys, the last of, last of them. And mm-hmm. I work with, you know, with, with my immediate senior, Ngozi, he's my co-founder. So, um, you know, <laughs> funny enough, you know, Ngozi and I used to fight a lot. So <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's strange that, it's strange that we're so close, but I think it's because we fought so much been like the fourth and fifth um, kids that I think we know each other and trust each other so well because you know there, there really isn't anything left to, to discover. But I, I think my first <laughs> my first entrepreneurial um, idea was I, my dad did not my dad did not approve. But basically, um, I used to take pens and pencils to class, nice. and I would rent them out to, to oh. my classmates. Pens as a service. Yeah, pens as a service because, um, you know, if you didn't have a pencil or pens, you know, the teacher would actually hit you with a a cane or ruler. And so I I would have, um, I I created this list and I had a fountain pen, even though we we were 10, we didn't need one. We didn't need a fountain pen. I would have a fountain pen, I have a bic, and I have a pencil, and I have different prices. (laughs) (laughs) You're segmenting segmenting the market even at at 10 years of age, yeah? Um, I was, I was, and, and um, you know, I, my father found the list uh, one morning and told me that this is not on, so I, I had to stop. But it was, it was my first taste of, taste of business. 
No, um, it's good. So what, what what is it like then running the business with, with with family members? You know, so I I think it's from a from from my point of view, I think that it is great because there is a lot of trust, and I think that you know, especially when you are, it allows it allows you to to leverage each other because you know there there is trust. I you know there's a funny story when we were um you know Ingo and I started working together in 2008 and we were looking doing a sort of a pan african distress fund and there were lots of times when we were not in the same country and you know you're getting you're getting and and you're not making traction and you know success is not as you know obvious and apparent as you thought it would be so you know it was funny cuz we would laugh about how we would get calls from recruiters to headhunt each other um, for a new mm-hmm. position. And, you know, bec- you know, but because there's, because we trust each other and we you know, can have frank conversations so that you're not worried about, you know, those issues of a co-founder leaving you or somebody poaching your co-founder or your co-founder going off and doing things on your own because you know, we had that trust. I, I think for other parties dealing with us, it, it's, it can be challenging because, you know, um, you know, we would have a, let's say, a meeting in the office and, you know, people go home and we're still talking uh, when we get home um, and talking to each other. And the next morning, things have changed, perhaps, because we've we really talked it out for the last three, four hours. Um, so it, it, it can be it can be intimidating, I think, sometimes, because it's almost like you're talking to one person, but it's two, two individuals. Yeah, but I suppose it, in terms of decision-making, you guys are kind of on the same you kind of know which way the other one's probably gonna go and it's probably you cut through a lot of the a lot of the discussion that maybe other co-founders have to have on a you know being yeah. maybe right. no absolutely and, and and you know in terms of you know when we're pursuing this pan-african vision and that we are that we are doing where carbon we want to launch carbon in, in several countries you know you, you can actually spread yourselves well because mm-hmm. you know there's that trust so I can go off to Kenya, he can go off to Egypt and, you know, and get things done. Um, and there isn't, and there isn't someone sort of like nitpicking and checking over you and having to justify why you did, you know, so much and have to, you know, so, so, so I think that's, that's um, one of the advantages I think we, we have. And then, you know, we have fun. Yeah. Um, if we go back to, to 2012 and, and you started Wunfai, um, which was more of an, an offline uh, financial services yep. company. Talk us through, you know, how that how that worked and, and the challenges, I suppose, of being in an in an offline environment. So yeah, so you know, we we we've always wanted to be a bank, but we realized that you know, you it would be very difficult to have to convince people to put money with us because you know we're starting out. So we looked at okay, what was the product that people wanted, but there, there was a short supply, and that was credit. So we looked at people like Capitec in South Africa and saw that they were able to, you know, start off just by giving loans, giving, I think it was like a thousand rand. Um, that was, a, that was a loan value they, they gave out. So we, we did the same thing where we, um, said one office, we're going to leverage agents, um, and just go out to customers and, you know, at their places of work, at their homes and get them, sign them up for loans. So, and you know, in 2012, you know, we take a lot of 
things for granted. And we take a lot of things for granted now that we did not have back then. So, you know, in 20, end of 2015, the central bank introduced this bank verification number, which was a unique, uh, it's a unique identifier that you can access di digitally. Whereas in 2012, we had to go to people, we had to take a photocopy of some form of ID, a driver's license, um, a passport. Um, we had to take, we had to get like checks, post-data checks, um, mm -hmm. because, because the likes of Paystack and Flutterwave hadn't started um, then either. So, um, so it, was, it was a very manual process where if we gave you a loan for six months or 12 months, we would take six or 12 checks. And to get repaid, we would literally go to the bank and then deposit those checks and, wow. and see what, what comes out. So it was, yeah, it was a very manual process. Um, we, we had 100 agents. At one point for a year, we had, um, every week we had 25 new agents getting trained. I know we had a, a a week's sort of a week's class where, you know, to start off with, you know, I'll give a 30 minute speech about, you know, the business and why we're doing it and the opportunity and what problems are solving. And then they would have classes on maths. They would have acting classes. So we would, we wow. would actually act, we would actually act out um, like a, a client that was, you know, some of the clients that we we'd normally face, the ones that were, would talk about our rates, the ones that would, um, they were not sure that they could, that they wanted a loan yet. So we, and we'd actually videotape the, the agents, how they responded and give feedback. So it was like a full on uh, weekly, week, weeks program. And then we would graduate them and then they'd go into the market. So we did it for, for yeah. Like wow. So really intensive, really intensive training and role play and, yep. uh, did any of your agents go on to have leading roles in, in, in uh, any, any leading Nollywood movies? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Okay. Um, but a lot of the agents actually went to other, com other companies. Some even started um, competing businesses uh, at, at the time. So, because um, we were one of the first people to actually use the agent model as opposed to, you know, branches. Yeah. So, um, so we trained a lot of the agents in the in the industry so so moving on then you know you had the catalyst i suppose to move from from offline to online and you, and, and you came up then with pay later which was i suppose the first the first product um what was the thinking around pay later and and the opportunity there that you saw so it, it was twofold one was opportunistic we you know things had changed where the likes of um the bank verification number came online so it was possible to actually verify identity and it you know remotely so that that was huge you, you also had the introduction of companies like paystack and flutterwave and we could actually um enable direct debit transactions via debit cards so we didn't need the checks so there, there was that but so that that was that was a, a those were, that was a factor the other factor was now after three years of lending you know, a couple of things we realized was we were trying to beat the banks at their own game, but we didn't have the distribution network like they had in terms of branches. Um, we didn't have the, the availability of capital. And, you know, so we, we, we just figured, and, and we didn't want to, you know, as I said, we were training agents every week and there was high turnover. And we, and we wanted something, wanting something more sustainable. Yeah. So we decided to pivot, pivot to using, using technology to reach a larger audience because at the time we could only service clients in Lagos. 
But when with pay later, we had the whole country as our, you know, at our market. And you know, one of the things we were doing in one credit, we were solving for, you know, so credit is, you know, lending is two things. It's the ability to pay and the willingness to pay. So we were solving for the ability to pay because you know, we would take down people's employment letter, we would look at their bank statements. So we knew they could pay us back. Now, what we didn't know was, did they want to pay us back? So with pay later, it was the opportunity to actually combine the ability to pay and the, and the willingness to pay. So we could, you know, using you know, the data on a phone, we could assess their ability to pay. But now with willingness, we, we said, we would start people small and we would only give them more money if they actually paid us back. Uh, and so that's what we did. So we started everyone on a very small loan and then we built them up. And, you know, so as a, as an individual paid back, you know, if she, you know, as long as she kept on paying us back, we would increase the amount of money available to her up to a point where she, where we, we thought we, where we thought we had hit her, her affordability limit. And we would also reduce the interest rate as well. Right. I mean, and as you spoke around there, you know, Nigeria potentially was the whole market because obviously we're, you're serving financial inclusion and, and the lack of financial inclusion, I suppose, for a lot of people. If we look at Nigeria, like, can you give us an idea of, you know, how big of an issue financial inclusion is for, for typical Nigerians and, and what they're facing? Yeah. So I think financial inclusion is it's, it's getting a lot better um, than it was when, when we started around 2012 because the central bank is also focusing on it. But, you know, when we started, you had a situation where you had about 40% of the population were, were unbanked. Um, you had um, only 8% of, of the banked population had access to credit. Uh, and, and I think that that is roughly still the same, the same situation we're, we're in right now. When you compare even to countries like South Africa, where there's a higher... Uh, banked population, um, so so that's you know so that's where we where where it is. So you still have about you know thirty percent of people don't have access access to to bank accounts. But I think Andrew, it's important to 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 know you know people keep on stressing having a bank bank account as yeah. you know a good signal of financial inclusion, and it's not. Yeah. It's you know it, it's really about you know do these individuals have access to services like savings products. Um, um, credit products that are suited for them, um, and I, I think a lot of countries still have a lot to improve on. So, do you think, in in that regard, that the actual metrics for financial inclusion potentially need to be, you know, redrawn, or or, or what or what the touch points are in terms of a financial service that that a typical person has, you know, need to be looked at to give us a, a better understanding of, 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 of what financial inclusion actually is, as opposed to just having a bank account. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think, you know, it should be modeled along the lines of, you know, the ability to do, um, it should be the, the ability to, you know, do certain transactions, the ability to, to um, how do I say it, to almost have a record, you know, so, I think one of the things I like when I look at Kenya, um, you know, even sort of street walkers have M-Pesa. And, you know, so you're going, you're walking on the street and, you know, there's a woman selling food on the roadside and people are paying her using M-Pesa. Yeah. Now, you know, 
people like Carbon can actually um, lend her money based on these transactions because you know, we can actually see digital, you know, digital transactions. So we can assess her income on a day-to-day basis. Now, she, she's not taking a lot of money, but just that trail allows us to include her and, and you know, make services available to her. Now, when you contrast that with Nigeria, where it's, you know, there's, there isn't really mobile money, it's either cash or debit cards. Now, people won't use a debit card to buy corn on the streets. They'll mm-hmm. just give cash. Mm-hmm. So now we can't, we, you know, it's very hard for us to assess her based on her cash um, because we don't really see it because she probably hasn't got a bank account. Um, so, so that's, so for me, that's, and, and even if she did have a bank account, um, you know, it, it'd be very hard for us to, to, to assess, assess that, that trail, um, unlike in Kenya. So I, I think it's really about, you know, how can we get people to have a, a cash or a, a digital trail? Yeah. I mean, it's a couple, couple of points on that, I suppose. One is, is, um, are you also seeing within within you know men versus women different different characteristics around um financial inclusion so you know men typically would maybe be the the, the breadwinner uh are we seeing more men taking the loans and or, or any cultural differences there between the men and the women so are you seeing any differences between male and female take up and loans due to those factors yeah Hmm. I mean, so in, you know, looking at our annual report, you know, our customers are 70% men, 30% women. Um, and within that makeup, you know, for the unsecured loans, we have, it's normally 70, 30 men to women, but with payroll loans. So these are loans that we give individuals based on their employment status. And, you know, the loans are not, so we, we lend you, we lend, uh, let's say, a woman money, and her employer pays us directly. Um, so that's a payroll loan. What we found was that it was 50-50. So women actually um, seem to borrow just as much as men when it's a payroll loan than when it's an, an unsecured loan. Um, and the other surprising thing, I think we put out some, we put out some data a couple of years ago we didn't really find that much of a difference between the repayment, um, the repayment um, record between men and women. So traditionally, everyone's always said women are better payers than men. Um, but the data has shown us that we, from what we saw was that it, it was roughly the same. So, I mean, that's, that's what we have. And, um, I, you know, the hypothesis is that, you know, I think when, when people, maybe when women are are more certain that they're going to get a loan, they would they would they would borrow. Um, but it's you know when we've done a few interviews and it's quite inconclusive on why women are not borrowing as much as men men are. Is that more on the on the personal loan side or on a business on the business loan? Because obviously we got a lot of female informal traders and um, yeah. are they are they and, and and coming back to what you said earlier around. Um, you know, for the people who are, you know, say that the, the street vendor who's, who's all our payments are maybe in cash. How do you, how do you assess those type of people or do they not, are they just typically not able to, be, 
you just don't take a chance or do you give them one loan and see how that goes or, or I mean talk us through you know that lending process and, and how it works so in terms of you know what we found we, we created a product called bloom for for women and we found that and this was based on some of our research findings that women wanted advice first before they wanted a loan especially for business so you know it's not it wasn't a case of you know we want money um let's take a loan it's Actually, we would just want some advice first about our business, and then once we once we're more comfortable, then you know we, we would see if a loan is the best um, the best product for us, and and that's actually a very great good way to think about it. Um, in in terms of you know that um, individual you said about you know uh, the the woman the street hawker etc. So you know, it's interesting. In Nigeria, it would be very difficult for us to service that kind of customer because all our all our customers have a bank account. Um, in Kenya, and also when we did a pilot in Ghana, it's actually very easy for us to to service that customer because most people in Kenya and Ghana have a mobile money account, and you know we and we also. We also lend to people who have mobile money accounts in, in these countries, and we can actually assess their cash, their, their flows, their, their inflows and their outflows. So in mobile money countries, we can lend to practically anyone. But in countries like Nigeria, where it's, you know, the mobile money penetration is still, it's still quite low, you know, we, we, we just we focus on people who, are, who have bank accounts. Want to connect with African tech leaders and investors across the continent? Join us for Africa Tech Summit Connects, our online summit taking place on October 20th to 22nd via mobile app and desktops. Africa Tech Summit Connects will deliver three days of African tech industry insights from tech leaders and investors, smart networking with one-to-one video meetings, startups, and online marketplace showcasing leading ventures and opportunities. Join us at Africa Tech Summit Connects, where African Tech Connects online October 20th to 22nd. To see latest speakers or register early bird rates, please visit www.africatechsummit.com. That's africatechsummit.com for more info. Now back to this episode of Africa Tech Summit Connects podcast. So then talk us through the technology. Um, how quickly can we get a, can somebody get a loan? Um, I think you previously said you've been actually and this is a good a good reflection of your technology uh that maybe i think somewhere i read before that you actually rejected for a loan so it's not like a you know can't be infiltrated by somebody uh you know internally or, or, or things like that mm. um talk us through talk us through the, the, the technology and how it works so it normally takes about five minutes to get a loan so a customer will down download our app so we have android an android app and an ios app um and you know, with the Android app, you know, we use a lot of the data on the phone with the customer's permission. So things like the SMS messages, um, we, will, we need access to that to look at their financial transactions. Um, we will look at their location data. We will look at, um, you know, their call logs and their, and, and their app. And... This is all, you know, the customer has the choice to either let us, to let us um, have access to that or not. But the reason why we need that is it's a proxy, the SMS, the financial transactions are a proxy for 
um, the bank statement. So in, in, in countries like Nigeria and Kenya, um, when you do a transaction on your bank account, you get an SMS message yeah. that, that you know, tells you, you know, Andrew has taken 10,000 naira from, his, from his, his account, his balance is X. Um, or Andrew, or, or you know, Apps Africa has paid Andrew. Apps Africa, his salary, it's your salary has come in, and so this is, um, this is how much money you have. Um, so we, we look at that. We look. Is that to overcome? Sorry for for jumping in there. Is that to overcome yeah. the because does it you know the banks are are not very good at sharing, um, or is it a, you know they they won't yeah. share data? The bank, you have to overcome that yourself. The bank, Yes, the banks. The banks will not share data. I mean, we 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 have Open Africa, but it's not open banking. But it's not um, it's not like the UK where you can mm-hmm. you know we can have access to that with the, with a customer's permission. Um, so so we need that data, and we we plug the, those numbers into our algorithm, and we come up with a score internally. We classify the customers into five risk buckets from very high, high, medium, low, very low. And you know, depending on our risk appetite, you know, we would we would create a cutoff and then decide to give a customer um, a loan. And she has the option of, of rejecting it or accepting it. And if she does, then she all she has to do is register her debit card, and we tr- we we will then send the money into her wallet. And so all that takes place in five minutes. We would also check um, the um, the credit bureaus to see. Um, if she has any outstanding um, debt that you know that is that is um, in arrears, and we will also check the KYC databases. So, for instance, in Nigeria, we have access to the passport database, um, you know, BVN bank verification number, um, vote, you know, voters registration, national ID, etc. So, we all and all of these checks are done all within five minutes. Um, so, increasingly, we also make use of our our own data. So um, the Carbon app has um, has a bill payment platform. So customers can also pay bills on our platform. And you know we did that one to make to make more revenue, but secondly to actually create our own data. So instead of scraping, um, we can also you know see okay, what bills has Andrew paid? Has he paid a cable bill? Has he paid an electricity bill? And what does that say about you? And you know when we look at people like you who have paid these bills, how are they performed? Because we're increasingly moving from a world where people do not want their data scraped. It, you know, they, they find it intrusive. So, so we need to create the, the environment where customers can actually generate data on carbon and we can use that data and, make, and, and to make decisions. So that's why with the iOS app, for instance, you know, iOS will not allow um, data scraping. So we rely a lot on... Um, bill payment um, data that's, that we generate on our own platform. And also we, we get customers to also send in their bank statements uh, as well. So, it's, so all, all, of the, all, all of this happens within you know, five minutes. So in terms of your own um, credit data, then you've obviously got to, you know, pulling together all these different elements, you've obviously then got a very good credit scoring mechanism for the market. Do you then share that credit score with other with other agencies or I mean where, where do you see the future of this going where you know maybe or or, or do you want to share that data I suppose um, because it's such a you've come up with <laughs> such a good algorithm and a way of actually of, of, of credit scoring but you know if you come back to the, the, the point where the banks 
don't want to share statements because they're obviously want to keep their own customers and they want to do those. Where do you see this all going in terms of the, the longer term credit scoring of, you know, the Nigerian consumer? I mean, is, could this just be a separate business for, for, for uh, carbon that you have the carbon credit score and, and then you have an API for that that people use? Or would you be, you know, you guys want to keep that to yourselves? No, I, I mean, we, look, we could, we could consider it. I think the danger is, you know, there's, there's so much demand for lo- lots of products that the danger is that you, you, you try and do everything and get, you know, get stuck because yeah. there isn't that much focus. So for us, it's digital bank first. Let us, let us serve our own customers well. Um, you know, we do share our, we, we do share data with the credit bureaus. So when a customer has, um, when, when they perform well, we, when they don't perform well, we share that data as well with the credit bureaus. So, you know, other competing lenders can go to the credit bureau, look at a carbon customer and get all the information because we believe it's actually the customer's data, not ours. Um, so, you know, if a customer performs well on our platform, you know, we believe that it's her right to have that data. Um, shared amongst anyone she wants wants to, so she can actually access better, um, better or more um, um, services. So, so we, we, you know, we might we might do something like that where we share the carbon score um, with other third parties, but you know, right now it's not in our roadmap. Yeah. Also, I suppose in terms of the consumer, you know, educating them about. You know those that aren't aware of it having a credit score and the the value of that credit score do you, do you do you kind of educate the consumer around you know what, what where they are on that journey or or how does that work no we do and you know carbon is the only financial institution that gives customers free credit reports so if you download the carbon app um even if you haven't taken a loan from us or or even made a you know made a payment you know, you can actually have access to your credit credit reports. So we made, we made that available to, to customers. So at, at any time. So we're the only ones that do that. Um, and because we think it's important that customers are aware of, of their report, you know, their, their credit score. We think it's, we think it's important that they understand the consequences of late payments or, or, you know, or just performing well. So that's, that's why we do it. And if we look at in some markets, mobile lending has, has kind of come under fire, um, you know, talks around regulation and ne- needing to be mm-hmm. uh, greater regulation. What, what, what do you think it is? And what, what do you think needs to happen uh, between, you know, mobile lenders and regulators for, you know, greater, greater regulation, I suppose, to, for, for everybody's sake? Um, what, what are your thoughts on what needs to happen? So we are one of the only digital lenders that are regulated. So in Nigeria, we're regulated by the Central Bank of Nigeria. And I, I think, you know, regulation is always, is always a, a sort of a sore topic because people equate being regulated to being slower, um, to be more bureaucratic. And, you know, there is an element of truth in that, but we've proven that it can be done because we compete with other lenders that are not regulated. Um, but, you know, and within... And yet we're still, you know, we can still, you know, get audited by one of the one of the big four accounting firms. We have our, we we also have a rating from a global credit rating agency. Um, and I think it's important 
to be regulated because it's all about customer protection. Because, you know, not, not every digital lender is bad or has bad intentions. But what we see in places like Kenya and even Nigeria, where lenders, you know, contact um, customers, you know, friends and family to sort of shame them into paying back. I, I think that that is detrimental to the to the to the industry, as as well as you know, really really high you know interest rates. Um, so so I think it's it's really important that that customers get protected um, because you know this. You know, financial services is a very sensitive, sensitive um, topic, and, and it's and it's prone to abuse. So one of the things, and that's one of the reasons why we we also made these credit reports free and available, because a lot of digital lenders take the view that you know, if a customer pays me back, I'm not going to share that information with anyone, because she's a good customer, and there's no point in sharing, and I'm just going to keep lending to her and keep her in my ecosystem. Now, if she wants to go to a, let's say, a, 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 a traditional bank and get a bigger loan um, that, a lend, that all the digital lenders can't do, the bank has no record of her at all taking credit. Now, meanwhile, she's taken 20 loans, um, you know, fairly high interest rate, and she's actually paid them off really well. The, you know, it's her right to have that information um, available to to, to the bank to make a decision, and they should, and, and they, would, they would they should give her a loan because you know she's actually paid off a higher interest rate than they would charge. Um, so I think that's why you know regulation or self regulation um, via a a association of 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 you know well run digital lenders is is really important. And I mean, how responsive are the regulators to you know? Often we speak to other smaller fintechs, maybe who are, you know, a lot further behind where 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 carbon is, um, and who really struggle with the regulator and, and sandboxes and things like that. I mean, wh- what do you think needs to happen in terms of uh, you know driving fintech? You know, is is here to stay, and you know, what what are the what are the kind of stepping stones that we kind of need to overcome to, you know, to really bring that fintech and regulatory piece together? Yeah. So regulation always follows innovation. So there's always going to be that lag. But I, I think that, you know, you take Nigeria, for instance, there's, there's an association, FinTech Nigeria. So even if you're a small lender, you know, you can join the, you can join the association and, it, and lobby the regulator w- with the rest of the group. So we're also a member of FinTech Nigeria. And, you know, we are, we are engaging as a, as, a, as a lobby group, as an association. We're engaging the regulator. Um, to you know, to find a happy medium of you know regulation as well as you know innovation. So in 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 Kenya, you also have the I think Digital Lenders Association of Kenya um, that's also engaging the Central Bank of Kenya. So I I think um, even small lenders can bandy together to form associations as a group to 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 lobby lobby regulators as well. You spoke about there, you know carbon's actually regulated and i think um you know carbon has been quite instrumental in being transparent and innovative in in, in you know showing your your financial results to the market um talk us through i mean uh, you just recently re- um released your 2019 financial uh statements which were audited by kpmg why is this important and you know 
why 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 go to those those lengths of about showing um you know transparency to the market so i think first and foremost as we said you know our vision is to be a pan-african digital bank um and that means that we want customers to trust us with their money now one good thing that banks all over the world do is they publish their results they and and they need to do that for transparency to show people this is where your money is this is you know how we've performed and you know we if we want to you know if we want to reach to the point where customers are using us as their primary or secondary bank account we need to be transparent we need to give people comfort that we're an institution that has you know good governance um, you know strong sort of roots we're not going to up and leave tomorrow morning because you know one minute we're here the next minute poof we're gone um, and because you know we only have because did you know fintech companies have very light um footprint because most of us have maybe one office um you know we're competing with with banks that have 200 branches and so you can actually see them so a lot of our customers for instance you know, there was a there was an interesting um, testimonial on Twitter from a customer in Kano, and he said that he has never seen the carbon office, but the the bank that is down the road and he's been banking with it for ten years has never given him a loan, but carbon has given him a loan. So you have a guy in Kano who has never seen us because we don't have a branch in 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 Kano. We probably don't even have any advertising or billboards in Kano, yet he's been able to download the app, get a loan from us, repay us back. And yet the banks he sees every day, you know, don't serve him. So it's important that, you know, more and more people like him feel they can trust us and they feel they can actually put their money into, a, into a, an entity where they don't have, where they don't see every day. So that's why, um, you know, by being transparent, by showing everyone our, our results, good or bad, um, this is, you know, it, it helps to build to build trust. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I think within financial services, trust is obviously the number one point. I suppose, you know, Nigeria's had banking crises before and uh, the rest of the world has had banking crises before. And, and um, actually believing that you're, believing in the founders and believing in the company, I suppose, is, is, a, is really important. You spoke there around, the future of you know being a pan pan African digital bank. Um, talk to us around the markets outside of Nigeria. I know you mentioned Kenya before, and you know what are the markets you're looking at? Kind of what are the key metrics that you you're looking at in those markets for carbon to go in there? So, so the services that carbon is going to really focus on are lending, savings, transactions. Um, maybe F and, and not maybe and FX. Um, so, you know, we're looking at Kenya. So, so all these markets have interesting traits. So for instance, in Kenya, we, you know, Kenya has, is a very sophisticated, uh, has a very sophisticated, you know, digital financial services industry where you have the likes of, you know, NCBA with Mshwari, KCB, you have the likes of Branch and Tala. So there's lots of lending going on there, but there isn't that much of savings or, you know, or even of just good, simple, cheap banking. Um, in, in Ghana, you know, there's also, I mean, West Africa in general, um, retail, bank, retail bank penetration is actually very low. The most, lots of banks are just corporate banks. 
Um, they don't really lend to consumers. This is what we found in Nigeria. It's what we found in Ghana when we went, when we did a pilot in Ghana in 2017. Um, so for us, a lot of the West African opportunity is, you know, lending, it's savings, it's cheaper banking. In some, in some banks in, you know, in Francophone Africa, it's $50 to have a bank account, to maintain a bank account. Um, some banks actually charge for internet bank access. So, you know, we can, we can go to these markets with, um, with cheaper, with, with a cheap banking proposition where we're offering a, a no frills product, um, very customer friendly, and it's sort of very customer focused where we're only focusing on the consumer or the SME. We're not foc focusing on corporates or not investing in treasuries. We're looking at markets in, for instance, in Egypt. Egypt also has a high um, unbanked, um, high unbanked, high cash um, environment. And there's lots of scope for us to go in and provide loans, provide um, savings and, and transactions as well. So that's so that's what we're we're looking at. So it's key markets like Egypt, Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire, Senegal, Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria. And when do you see this this expansion happening? Or I mean, with COVID, has that kind of changed anything on on, on your on your roadmap? So COVID is is sort of bittersweet. It's it's sweet in the sense that you know, I, I think COVID has accelerated the need for digital financial products and people are more sensitive about going to branches or you know going um going anywhere to to because they're, they're worried about you know the the virus so in a way you know people are more open to to engaging with the likes of carbon i think it's better in the sense of you know our ability to travel and to engage with regulators but you know we've we've managed to actually engage with regulators even you know working from home in in different in different countries. So I think that you know despite COVID, we will you know we're still looking to expand to some of these countries within the next two years. Right. And we've also seen, I suppose, you know, some Nigerian fintechs Paga moving to Mexico, mines you know outside to Southeast Asia. Um, do you see carbon, you know, exporting its service to other other continents, or or is Africa the primary focus? I mean, you've obviously being a wanting to be a Pan African bank, you've got a lot to get on with, I suppose, in, in, in these other markets. But do you ever see the potential that carbon would export to its technology outside of Africa? I mean, yes. I mean, our, look, our technology is definitely exportable. Um, the algorithms can work in any any continent. You know, we, all you have to do is just train the algorithms for the for the environment, and then you know you can use them. And that, but when you look at some of these companies you mentioned, you you'd find that the catalyst for some of their moves was also driven by an investor that was comfortable in those markets. So I, I think, you know, as much as I like to go to any con, you know. To a different market, I think the reality is that we need strong partnerships in those markets to to be successful. Um, so, I wouldn't go to Indonesia, for instance, by by myself. I would want either an investor who is invested in carbon, or maybe who's Indonesian, to say, you know, hey, look, I think there's an opportunity here. Why don't you guys, you know, come in? I'll help you get the license maybe help you get a team and you just apply your algorithms and, and the app 
and you know we can do that we, you know and then we can we can launch um, and that's the philosophy we have also even within Africa so you know when we go to Kenya we have a Kenyan team where we have Kenyan shareholders when we're, we're going to launch in Egypt we're looking for Egyptian uh, shareholders and Egyptian team um, because we don't you know we recognize that you know it's important to have local teams and local partnerships that are also invested in your success so it won't just be us parachuting into every single country it's actually it's you know it's driven by by the by people who know the environment the best yeah and i suppose coming back there investments obviously a key point and, and and as you said the investors who are driving driving some of those those decisions um how how easy was it to, to raise money or difficult when when, when you started out for, uh, on this journey i mean was your background, I know yourself and your brother had previously worked in the investment landscape. How, you know, talk us through that, raising money. How, how was it? I think raising money was, was challenging um, because, you know, you, you were doing, we were, you're taking on a, a big industry. You're taking on various established players. Um, Actually, scrap that. I wouldn't even say we're taking on established players because they were not really focused on the markets we were focused on. But you know, when we talked about lending to consumers, you know, one of the questions we kept on getting back from lots of people were, "Well, aren't the banks doing that? You know, what happens when the banks um, wake up and start lending? You know, why why should you exist?" So it was really hard convincing people that there was an opportunity here because you know when we we tried to raise locally first because we felt that they would understand local investors will actually understand the market, but there was no interest in that. Um, then you tried to raise from foreign investors, but you know, you're trying to raise from somebody in the UK and they're just thinking, well, I know Barclays, HSBC, um, Lloyds bank, they all lend to, to you know, students and things. I, I just, they just couldn't put their heads around the fact that there was a market whereby even people who work for, let's say, a top four accounting firm did not have access to credit. Um, so, so it was really tough um, raising money. Uh, luckily, we, we, we found an investor who had invested in one of the um, new generation banks. So he understood that whole idea of um, I'm investing in a, an institution that is going to one day, maybe in 20 years, take on the, take on the establishment. Because our, our pitch to them was, you know, if you look at the likes of, you know, GTB and Zenit, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, these were the fintech companies of, of, of the time. You know, you had the big banks like First Bank, Union Bank, that was started by Barclays and Lloyds in 1900s. And then you had these new generation banks that started in the 1990s. Um, you know, people didn't believe that they could actually... Um, win and now they are the biggest banks in in Nigeria. So the investor that we found was someone who had invested in one of the new generation banks. So for him, it was like I've seen this before, and you know I'm going to write a check and, and do it again. Um, Series B as well. You know we had um, Net One who took a big chance on us. Um, they liked the, they liked the story. They liked the they liked us. They liked the Nigerian market, and I, I you know we're very grateful that they. They, they backed us when other people wouldn't. But it, it was really tough. And again, you know, the struggle, the struggle with lo raising local capital, you know, I, it's, you know, you can't understate it because, you know, 
local investors know the know the region they understand it better than the foreign foreign investors do but if they don't invest in local companies it's it's really hard to get other to get foreign investors to to also invest and you know so it so it was really it was really challenging and i think that if we could actually um get local local capital it would probably accelerated our our growth and we'll probably be a lot further along. You know, one of the things, one of the interesting things I remember was going to, well, Ingozi and I with our advisor, going to a few corporate institutions and all of them said to us, we like this sector, we're going to set up a competing business. Huh. And none, none of them have. This is, this is 2015. Yeah. And we told them, and we said, if you don't do it this year, then, you know, you can't, you probably won't be able to catch up. And, you know, very polite, very, you know, listen to our pitch, um, ask lots of intelligent questions. They had the capital, they had the customer base to do, to do it. But they, so they, they passed on investing because they felt they were going to do it themselves, but they haven't done that. Yeah, talk is cheap, as they say. Um, yeah. And I suppose fast forward, uh, you know, four or five years, you know, what, what's the sentiment now from, from um, banks and people maybe that you reached out to before? I mean, are you seeing a lot more, now that you've proved the concept and you've, you've proved that what you guys are doing as a dig- digital bank works? I mean, are some of these people reapproaching? Um, and, and does fundraising now become, become a lot easier in terms of the next, the, the next uh, roadmap of countries, et cetera? So I, I think that the fact that there's more competitors, uh, you know, so you look at some of the, our competitors and they've got funding from some great names means that, you know, I think we've proven the, 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 the business case. Um, and, you know, we brought some more, some attention to the market. I, I think fundraising is still, is always going, it's always going to be tough. And I, I think that in general, you know, raising as an African company, raising seed and Series A um, is not impossible, um, and it's and it's you know it's very doable. And you have the likes of Y Combinator, um, five hundred startups. You know, you have lots of you have lots of focus on African companies now, which is great, great news for for the ecosystem. I think it gets really hard when you're looking at Series B, where you're trying to raise you know ten million dollars and, and more, because you're now as a as a company. You know, you you now have to raise from funds or investors that have a sort of an emerging market sort of mandate. You know, Series A and Seed, you can look, you can focus on investors that only invest in Africa. But when you're looking to raise twenty, thirty million dollars, then you know your investor has a choice of mm, should I look at Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, um, Indonesia, Jaka- you know, um, <laughs> Vietnam, or or Nigeria. And and in those cases, it's it, it's it's really really challenging. Um, I think that I, I, I think controversially that African founders don't get a good shake of the, of the money tree, um, compared to, um, foreign founders that also operate in, in our markets. Um, and, you know, and that's why, you know, I, I, I'm always advocating for more local investments because, you know, until we until we have more local investors in the ecosystem, we're always going to face, face that, that bias as well. And I think you know, one of the reasons why we also publish our, our um, results, it's, it's, it's almost like, look, 
you know, even some of the challenger banks in Europe that raise $200 million don't, don't have the financials we have. Yet, when we talk to, and money is supposed to be money, right? And when we talk to some of these investors, they're like, no, they're not interested. You know, Africa's not growing. Africa's small. Um, Africa has so many issues. And, and they have some valid arguments. But, it, but still, it's like, if you want to return on your money, we can give that to you. Um, and when you look at carbon's results for a fraction of the, I mean, we've raised $50 million in, in debt and equity since, since 2012. And if you look at, you know, just throw a dart at, a, at a, a table full of European challenger banks and you probably see $200 million raised from 2015 or even $400 million. And then you look yeah. at their financials and, you know, it's not as good as ours. Do you think the local investor piece is changing? I mean, if we look at Dangote, I know he, you know, he even said, you know, he wouldn't invest in technology. It's not, it's not what he knows and not what he, what he wants to invest in. Um, what, what do you think it's going to be, you know, what, what's the catalyst that, that there will be a flood of local, you know, wealth that, that does exist on the continent to, to really start to throw behind technology. I mean, there, there are obviously a lot of investors who are, who are already active, but for it to be a critical mass, I mean, do we need do we need like an exit? Do we need a you know an IPO that suddenly you know an African IPO? You know we obviously had Jumia, which which you know isn't a pure African company such as your own. Um, mm. Is that what's required? What do you think is the tipping point where where suddenly some of this capital that that that's been sat on by by people who maybe were in traditional industries in, in Africa they start to deploy this capital into technology? I think we need more data um, because I, I think by sharing more data, you know, people are more aware of the opportunities. So yes, we, we definitely need more exits, but you know, an exit doesn't have to be a full blown, you know, IPO or even a sale. It could be, you know, you invest in seed uh, as an angel or seed or series A and you, you sort of exit by series B. Uh, and and there, are, there are some of those, those, um, kinds of cases that actually happen uh, where you know some people have you know cashed out you know by the time series a series a's happen and i think when people know more about that then they start looking at um opportunities in a different light so you know maybe maybe i'll invest you know 150 dollars in this company because you know i can't predict whether it'll be a unicorn and i, I and even with unicorns, I'm not even sure we, some of us should be really thinking about, you know, unicorn status because it confuses people and makes them, um, makes people um, take on suboptimal choices. But, you know, if you put in $150,000, $200,000 and um, maybe that company gets a Series A and you can cash out because sometimes Series A investors don't like too many, too many people in the cap table. So, you know, you have, you have um, and we're seeing... Um, companies like Microtraction, funds like Microtraction, um, I think Aggressive, um, Aggressive Fund, uh, Futures Africa, you know, it's a welcome development that you have these local investors now investing a lot in seed and seed, seed and uh, early stage businesses. So we, I think we need more of that. And with these, you know, and when people start seeing returns and see more data and also see more results, and, you know, I, I think that. Um, even with carbon, you know, when, when people, people see us, you know, we wear t-shirts, 
you know, we, we're wearing jeans. It doesn't look like a serious business. Uh, we're not in suits, etc. But then you see our results and then you look at some established companies in Nigeria that are making the same or less than us. Then it, it makes them think, you know, maybe I should, you know, rethink um, the next business plan that comes across my table with, with you know, with founders that, that, that actually have a plan. So that's, that's why I, I think more data. Things just need, there needs to be more data in the, in the market. I, I think the, the ecosystem is focused on exits. There are not many. And lots of, lots of um, fundraising announcements, but there's very little in between. And as an investor, you know, a lot, you know, the average investor invests, you know, with the information they have. And if there's not much information, they're going to go for something, something that they're comfortable with. And that's a, a Dangote Cement, that's a Nigerian banks and shares or MTN. Um, but if they, if there's a, I mean, I don't know if there's a, a source like PitchBook or where investors could subscribe and, and just read and understand more, maybe there'll be more, more um, activity in the market. Yeah, I mean, the investor bias is, is, uh, has been, you know, researched and, and definitely, you know, illustrates that a lot more of the capital is, is going towards uh, non-African founders. Um, so the more, the more African investors we have, then the narrative can obviously, can obviously change by Africans investing in, into, into African, African companies. Is that what you're saying? We, we just really need more African investors and then... We, we can we can overcome the bias issue as well. Yeah, I mean, not, look, nothing's perfect, but I, I think the more the more African investors, um, then they understand the market, they understand the nuances. So, because sometimes, you know, I, I'll give you an example. You know, when we we started with the fund in two thousand eight, the deals we did, um, we had to get foreign investors, and you know. It was things like coffee, fiber optics, things that were dominant, like you know, the it was denominated in dollars, so they understood it. Um, it, it wasn't; it, it was an African company, but the revenues were in dollars. We were selling to foreign companies that you know, like Starbucks, etc. Or it was fiber optic; we we're selling to to businesses in dollars. Um, but if we took a local, a local company that had a strong brand, then they got uncertain. Now, a local investor will be like, oh yeah, this is, a, this is a great company. You know, I've been using this product for 30 years. Everyone, my, my father, my grandmother, everyone uses it. You know, it, it's like, you know, a real household name. They didn't understand it because they, it, wasn't, it wasn't local to them. So, so we, would, we would always pass on those opportunities because we couldn't get funding for it. So everything had to have sort of a, um, you know, a foreign element to it. Either, either they build in dollars or it was a, a global commodity that they could actually assess. So, so, so that's why I think it's important that you get investors who understand the environment, um, you know, understand how things are done. Because, um, you know, give an example. Um, there's sometimes, you know, you work in a regulated environment and you don't get you have a good relationship with the regulator. Uh, maybe the regulator is not, doesn't send official letters all the time. Um, and people get spooked by it because they're like, well, what does this mean? But then you're looking at all, your, all, all, the, all the similar companies in that industry, regulator space, also don't get letters um, from the regulator. Um, it's just how it's done. 
for instance, um, a local investor would or shareholder would understand that because they're also in the environment. Um, but a foreign investor would be like would be spooked, like I don't understand how how this is possible. Um, you know, and they get and then they, it causes issues with uh, with the entrepreneurs. And with COVID, do you think? Uh, I mean, if we look at your own situation, I mean, will COVID affect fundraising? Do you think in 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 in, in the short to medium term, or are you are you planning fundraising that that you've already seen? Maybe there's. Oh, we're, we're always raising. We're always raising. Always raising. Uh, we're definitely. We're always raising. Um, I, I think yes, COVID, you know, naturally um, has affected fundraising because most investors will look internally first, look at their portfolio companies, and would need to make sure that their portfolio companies could weather the storm for the next six to twelve months before they even consider new companies. So, um, you know, we. So we, we have tempered our expectations. Um, that said, you know, we've always, we, we've kept in touch with lots, you know, with, with quite a few um, investors over the, over the last couple of years. So, and we're always updating them. Um, we're always sending, um, you know, newsletters and of course, things like annual report. So while it will affect fundraising, we, 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 we are confident that we can actually raise, um, raise funds in the next 12, within the next 12 months. Great. I mean, it sounds um, with the roadmap you're gonna need you're gonna need a lot. Um, you got a lot a lot of a lot of countries that you're gonna gonna enter. But I suppose coming back to that, that's the beauty of the mobile uh, service. How many of those countries do you need to have operations in, um, or can you can you run a lot of them remotely? Obviously, with the app, the app's a huge huge benefit. I mean, we. Because because we, we plan on getting regulated in most of these countries, you know, we, we probably have to have an office there. But I mean, that's it. Um, so it's you know, you just have to have one office with a team, and you know, the services that we can we can run centrally, we'll do that, and the services that we'll have to run locally, we will, we will do that. So yes, I, I think there is there is the advantage of being mobile. Um, and, and lots of things can be done, you know, in the cloud or remote. And so we'll, and we will take advantage of that. If we, if we look at, you know, the mobile app, I know Google clamped down on mobile lending. How did that affect you? And, and you know, how did you overcome it? So Google clamped down on loans under, under um, 60 days. So in Carbon, our, our average loan tenor um, pre-COVID was, was 90 days. Um, and, you know, we are also, we're also more than lending, you know, we, we have investments, we have savings, we have transactions. Um, I think one of the things Google wanted to make sure was that people like companies like us were being very transparent with information with customers. And that's what we have been with our, with our, with our customers as well. So we, there was an initial bump. Um, but then we, you know, we've, we've ironed those things out and, you know, we, we're fine. And, you know, we're not, I think a couple of months ago, there was a huge article, um, regarding one lender that had not only violated the Google policy, but was also, you know, reaching out to customers, customers contacts. And, you know, so that, that, that is not us. Um, and that's not something we would, we would do. But that was a question that every investor asked was, you know, 
what happens if Google um, switches all of you guys off. And you know, that's why we want to be a bank. Um, and that's why we're going to be a digital bank um, because we don't want to be a lender. We want to, we want to be, um, we want to be a digital financial services provider for our customers, focusing on on a few different um, products, not just not just your typical payday loan. And yeah, so coming on to those other services, I, I know you mentioned um, FX earlier on. Um, crypto is obviously obviously a hot topic across the continent, and you know we've got devaluations and currencies. Do you see any mm-hmm. any 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 potential uh, crypto type currency or crypto crypto type products um, within within the carbon family of products, or, or where do you see that? <laughs> Uh, that's, that's a touchy subject. I think, you know, in general, what we are going to do at Carbon is there are going to be companies, there are going to be products that we, that we will deliver ourselves that are core to, to our platform, lending, savings, transactions, FX. And we're going to make third-party services available to our customers via the app. So, you know, if, if for instance, wealth management services, we don't think that we can we can offer that better than some of the, the wealth management apps. So we will, we will look to partner with them where our customers can actually enjoy those services still on the carbon app. So maybe like a super app structure. So for those kinds of, you know, other services, we would, if our customers want that, we would make that available on our app, but, it will, but we will clearly state that these are, these are not carbon products. Um, so, so we might, um, put things like crypto in that. Uh, on the personal, I mean, apart from carbon, on the personal level, what, what what are your thoughts on crypto? Where do you see where do you see this all going? Um, Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies. What's your view? Um, I actually don't know too much about about crypto. I, I think I I do use um, crypt, you know, stablecoin for FX um, transactions once in a while, and I find it very useful. Um, and I think that in environments where, um, like Nigeria, where the where the foreign exchange rate isn't that stable, I think you will definitely find lots of interest in things like crypto. So, and and we've seen it explode. You know, when a couple of years ago, um, crypto was the reserve of like people who like enthusiasts, and now you see. You see SME companies, you know, people that are trying to, you know, pay for goods in China now, you know, using crypto. So it, it's gone from like the enthusiast to, to mainstream. So I, I, I think there's, I, I think there's more growth um, to come. I, I think from a, using crypto for FX is, you know, is what lots of people do in Nigeria. Using crypto as a, as a trading currency. You know, we, we, I don't, I don't know whether that is. I, I think that's only that is not for the faint, faint of heart. And um, I think anecdotally, from the information that I have available, I think most people that I know in Nigeria are using are using crypto for for FX. I, I could be wrong, but from what I see and just talking to a few companies in the sector, it, it really is just for transactions. What are your thoughts on on on? this super app approach for, that OPA are having in, in, in Africa. And, and do you think, you know, obviously 
with WeChat in one market across China, it's 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 a lot easier. Whereas when when you're looking at trying to have super apps in Africa, do you think it's a possibility, or or, or are are we already seeing that you know it doesn't really work? Well, nothing's impossible, but I know that WeChat tried and, and failed in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, but it also depends on on the speed. I think the OP um, grew too too fast too soon, um, and a lot of it was unsustainable. You know, some of the you know perks and subsidies they were given were just. I mean, they just were not sustainable. I mean, when you look at some of the sums of money they invested in in a year or two, it's it, it, it's you know it's astounding. So I think that. Um, you know, and you might argue that some banks like GT Bank, for instance, in Nigeria is going the super app route where they're, they're doing lending, they're doing things like Habari music, uh, payments, um, they're doing healthcare. I mean, they're also sort of building a, a formal super app as well. I, I think it is, it is possible, but I think, you know, this fixation with being a unicorn in, in the space of three months is probably um, one, of the, one of the challenges of running a sustainable business right now where people are coming into the market, um, feeding it with subsidies. And by the way, WeChat did that in, in South Africa as well, where they were giving um, you know, amazing subsidies to use QR codes. And when they, when they pulled those subsidies, you know, the interest died. And I think that's what, I mean, OPE had a subsidy issue, but they also had um, some skirmishes with regulation as well. But so I, I think it, it, it remains to be seen um, whether super apps can work in work in Nigeria or work in Africa um, in the near term. P- people have to have the incomes as well to consume, you know, so many of these services. So it's like, you know, your Ubers, your ride hailing and then eating out, then it's, you know, movies and it's tickets and it's, you know, so it's like, are the incomes there at the moment to actually sustain a super app? You know, how many, how many services will people use um, in, to, to justify having everything in one app? Yes, certainly. I mean, I'm, I, on that point, I mean, what have you seen, you know, since, since COVID in terms of, you know, loan applications? What kind of metrics are, 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 they, are they really shooting to the roof in terms of people, people looking to borrow money now versus what you had before COVID? So I think applications have not been affected by COVID. So more people actually want money. Unfortunately, um, lenders, including Carbon, are tightening their, their lending criteria because of the uncertainty. So, you know, people want money, but, you know, because, you know they want money, but we don't know whether the sector they're in will withstand, will withstand COVID. Um, we don't know the likelihood of 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 the of the of the borrower ha- you know maintaining you know her her income. So we've definitely seen um, we've definitely seen a lot more appetite for loans, but we have to be more careful. Great. So look, looking forward to the next generation. Um, obviously, you know, as you said, you you've had to uh, build this company from scratch, and you know, you you build on all of this data science and, and, and analytics. Um, what, what, what's coming for the next wave of Nigerian guys who are listening to this podcast or across Africa um, in terms of skills and what skills do they think they need? And you know, also, how is carbon helping this next generation um, 
of, of entrepreneurs come through? You know, one, one of the things, I've always said this, and, you know, apologies to the African um, listeners, but I, I think that, especially for fintech, that Nigeria is actually a very competitive market. And, you know, one thing I say to other Nigerian entrepreneurs is that they have to think about going to other African countries because there's a lot of things that we have here we take for granted in Nigeria that, in, that do not exist in other countries. And the margins are, are much higher than they are in, in Nigeria. So, you know, we, we want more, more African, more Nigerians to go, you know, Pan-African. And, you know, we want more African companies to come into Nigeria and, you know, else, you know elsewhere. So I think that's why we created this Carbon Disrupt Fund. Um, which was to support entrepreneurs um, with a bit of funding. The, the funding is, is really not the point. It's really the access to the, to the customer, the, to Carbon's customers or its infrastructure. Um, you know, we have seen other competitors spend, you know, spend, you know, $8, 9 to acquire a customer, to get a customer to download an app. So even before, even before the customer has actually, you know, done a transaction or, bought something or bought a service, you know, this fintech company or the startup has had to pay in incentives and subsidies, you know, about five, five to eight dollars. Um, and that's a lot of money. Now, Carbon, we have hundreds of thousands of customers. And, you know, by, by plugging into, by a Carbon Disrupt company, plugging um, into, into our ecosystem, we can help them acquire customers cheaper for, for well, next to nothing because we're basically giving it to them. Um, and that's how we want to support um, support entrepreneurs as well. And how is the, the yeah. take up been? Has there been much response from? Are you being inundated with, with with companies who want to get involved? So initially, we got a batch pre-COVID. We had like forty over forty companies um, from Egypt, Cote d'Ivoire, Uganda, Nigeria, Ghana, and we whittled it all down to four, but. And we made an offer, but I, I think the challenge as well is, you know, people look at the fund and say, the, the terms are very, very clear. It's $10,000 or 5% and access to our ecosystem. Now we can argue about whether that's, that's too much or that's too much or too little, et cetera. But we did that because, you know, it's a no brainer. It's a quick, yeah, it should be a quick yes or no. But people go through the process and they hope that, okay, we're going to renegotiate and maybe invest a lot more. And, and we can't do that because we're not, you know, Ingozi and I are not running a fund. Um, this, is, this is literally supposed to be a, a, quick, um, a quick decision. And, you know, we give them the money, but we also give, you know, give them access to our ecosystem. And I think that's the challenge. The challenge is, while there, there are lots of interest, uh, but I, I think we're looking for companies that are just uh, starting out or they're in the concept or they've just built a prototype and they're looking to test, test that market. So we've seen companies where they've applied and I'm looking at, the, I'm looking at the, the deck and I'm like, this is an established company. This has one investor already. They're not going to take um, the terms. Um, so when we speak to them, they're like, no, we'll, we'll do it. We'll take the terms. Um, but then as we progress, you, you know, you, you start hearing like, so is there any room, is there any scope for renegotiation? And, you know, the answer has to be no. 
Um, so that that's the challenge is that, you know, I think um, we're getting lots of companies who are a bit more established than we would like looking for funding. And I think mean, that speaks to Andrew, to my earlier point about the lack of, lack of local, local investors, um, where people are just looking and latching onto anything that looks like a fund, even though it might not be really suitable for them at the stage they're in. Um, but we hope, so we hope to, to still get companies that, you know, that could actually qualify for, for funding. So are there any books that you're currently reading now that uh, have helped you along your journey or, or any books that you really recommend to, to our listeners? Ooh, um, the cliched one that I think has helped um, is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Um, I think that's a, that's a, a, great, a great book. Um, and I mean, the last book I read, funnily enough, um, was the power of micro money transfer, transfers? It's a book about um, remittances. Okay. And that's, but that's you know relevant to to, to me because we're looking at FX. Um, but I think things like the hard thing about hard the hard thing about hard things has been one um, has been a very useful book because of you know I think you need to you need to have. Um, difficult conversations as an entrepreneur, especially in COVID. And also another book is The Courage to, to Be Disliked. I think one of the challenges of COVID is that we have, lots of companies have had to make really hard decisions that they did not think they were going to make it in February, for instance. Um, and, you know, this has been a really tough time for, for companies all around the world, especially even in carbon. Where you know we this year for us was going to be a, a banner year. We were looking to to grow our business, you know, by over over 100 percent, expand into three markets. We were going on a hiring spree, and you know all that crashed in in March. Um, so I think in, in those times, you you really need to dig deep as an entrepreneur or as a founder and make some pretty hard decisions, pretty difficult decisions. At the same time, you, you have to, you know, you know, show leadership, pick up the morale for the company. Uh, and and it, it actually is it, quite stressful. Um, it's quite stressful. So I think those, those books have actually helped in, in, um, in getting some, some advice and inspiration on, on what to do in difficult times and what you have to do. Um, so, for instance, the courage to, to be disliked. I mean, it, I think the title is self-explanatory. Is that sometimes you just have to do make make certain decisions, um, whether it's popular or not, but it, it's for the long-term good of for everyone. Yeah, it sounds sounds very good. Um, and in this current climate, I think I think yeah, there's a lot of a lot of difficult decisions being made with jobs and redundancies. And and have you had to cut many people in in carbon yourselves? We've had to cut a few. Yep. And we've had to have, um, you know, some pay cuts. Yeah. Yeah. But we hope that's, but that's, that's the hope is that it's going to be temporary um, and that we can come back, you know, in a month or two or, or whenever, uh, whenever, you know, we, we feel the companies that are at a level where we can, we can go back to, to what was normal. So five years from now, we're, we're, we're out of COVID. Everybody doesn't even speak about COVID anymore. Where, where, where do you see carbon? Where, where, where do you think the company will be in five years from now? 
So five years from now, um, Carbon is a Pan-African brand. Um, you know, everyone, people have, a, people have you know, a Carbon card in their wallets or their purses. You have one, Andrew, because you come to, you're coming to, to who knows, Rwanda or, or Nigeria for a conference and you decide to get a, a Carbon card um, so you can, you know, you can spend in different currencies. Um, and hopefully, I, you know, I might not be here. <laughs> you make, you'll have made the difficult decisions to, to 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 relieve yourself of your position. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I think I, I think that you know, look in in five years, if we execute on the vision that we we yeah. have, Ingozi and I, um, I think that we would have done what we needed to do, taking the company to where we needed to take it take it to, and and hopefully we would. Um, make room for someone else in in the company to, to take over and I, I think that's also very important um even in even in recruiting in recruiting people because you know you need to get the best people and if the best people think that there's no way i'm getting to the top um then you know there's always gonna be that ceiling um but one of the things is i don't see myself i think we don't see ourselves in carbon for the next 20 years or even 10 years um so it's you know so i think and it's great because there's so many other problems and opportunities um to to look at in in, in africa um there's healthcare, there's education uh, i think finance is, is something that we are really passionate about and we really want to want want to fix um, but, I, but I think there's, there's so much more opportunities. And I think it's important that if we can actually solve, um, solve the, the finance problem that we've seen and, you know, and actualize our vision, um, you know, we can also get more, you know, more people to, to help, you know, lead carbon. And um, yeah, and that's, and that's what, we, what we plan. Well, I look forward to having my carbon card in, in my in my wallet and uh, be able to access uh, Naira and shillings and rand yeah. all on the one card uh, in the coming years and uh, yeah we really appreciate you, you coming on it's been great having you and uh, we look forward to hearing some more Andrew thank you very much and I, I can't wait to come to another conference maybe in London maybe a virtual a virtual um, summit yeah, watch the space. We're, we're working hard and uh, we will hopefully be in the digital space soon um, while COVID takes place. Have a good all these physical events. But uh, thanks again. Great to have you. Thanks. Thanks, Andrew. Want to connect with African tech leaders and investors across the continent? Join us for Africa Tech Summit Connects, our online summit taking place on October 20th to 22nd via mobile app and desktops. Africa Tech Summit Connects will deliver three days of African tech industry insights from tech leaders and investors, smart networking with one-to-one -one video meetings, startups, and online marketplace showcasing leading ventures and opportunities. Join us at Africa Tech Summit Connects, where African tech Tech Connects online October 20th to 22nd. To see latest speakers or register early bird rates, please visit www.africatechsummit.com. That's africatechsummit.com for more info.